if you would turn for our sermon text to Psalm 5, Psalm 5. I'm going to read the entire Psalm, 1 through 12. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices. Let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. The word of the Lord. Um, If you notice, we are on Psalm 5. Psalm 3 is a morning prayer. (laughs) Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. Psalm 6 is an evening prayer. Do you think the psalmist is trying to tell us something? Do you think the Holy Spirit who inspired the psalmist to put these psalms in this order did so in order to teach us something? I think that this is so. If you go to Psalm 1... If you study your psalms, you'll know that Psalm 1 is what they call the doorkeeper psalm. It's the one, the door through which you enter the book of Psalms. 150 chapters in the middle of our Bibles. The devotional book for us in the Bible. And so the man who enters through this door, he's a man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. He's a man who studies it day and night. And then this man in Psalm 2, he kisses Jesus' feet, he kisses the Son, he bows down and worships, and he obeys the commandments and doesn't chuck them to the side. Then he begins to pray in the morning, he begins to pray in the evening, Psalm 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 6. So the blessed man is a man who establishes a pattern of prayer in his life. Now many believe, again, that these Psalms, David is fleeing from Absalom and the rebellion that was started by Absalom against his father. Psalm 3 and 4 were the morning prayer upon the, the day in which uh, David's fleeing from Absalom. And at the end of the day, he prays again Psalm 4. And the same thing happens in Psalm 5 and Psalm 6, the second day of flight from Absalom, from Jerusalem. And very seldom do we find David ever praying when there's not some foes. We read about foes. Verse 8 says, 
lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. There's nothing in verse 9, he says, uh, nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. So these men are going against David. Absalom and all his fellows, his rebellious folks, are going against David. It's really interesting. And I think every now and then I was telling Pastor Sumter on the way home, sometimes uh, words that people use, they kind of are, uh, they cause a cognitive dissonance. So I'm going to use something that should kind of, kind of cause a cognitive dissonance in your brain right now. One man says, these men are using their speaking apparatuses in order to slander David. What are their speaking apparatuses? He uses the word mouth. He uses the word throat. He uses the word tongues. All of these are the speaking apparatuses that these men are using to uh, speak against David, speak against his kingdom. And all of this, it's very interesting. It matches right up with what Jesus said where sin comes from. It says these things come from their inward parts. And the word inward parts means it comes from their soul. So these men speak this way because this is what's in their soul. Now, when we read these words, before we get into our title of our sermon is instruction in prayer, we tend to read over these words. Now, let me explain what, where I want to go for a few minutes. Thinking about these words, there's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction and their mouth is an open grave. <laughs> let me see if I can paint a picture for you. Think about Jesus going up to the tomb of Lazarus. So Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus and the stone is in front of the tomb. And Jesus tells them to take the stone and roll it away. And Martha is agitated. And she says, Lord, <laughs> it's been four days. And, you know, the King James Version says, by now he, he stinketh. There's going to be a bad odor if we roll the stone away from the tomb. Let's not do this. David is saying that the men... Absalom and those with him, these enemies, when they open their mouths, when the tomb is opened up, when the stone is rolled away from their mouths, nothing but evil gases come out. Nothing but putrid things come out. Smells come out when they open their mouths. When they keep their mouths closed, closed nothing comes out. These are enemies against David. And by the way, who is David? Well, if we went back to Psalm 2, David is God's anointed king. So if you, Absalom, continue to go against David, you're not just going against David. You're going against the Lord who anointed David to be king. And we all remember that as we study through First and Second Samuel, we all remember that David would not touch Saul because Saul was the Lord's anointed. He would let God take care of him. And so now David says, you are going against uh, not only me, but against God. And in verse 10, he says this, Hold them guilty, O God. Hold them guilty for their rebellion. And this is simply a portrait of total depravity. Total depravity means that we come into this world born dead in sin. 
We are physically alive. We do work. We do nice things. We diaper children. We hold children. We pat children and try to calm them down. We, we do nice things in this world. We, um, there, we have wonderful doctors around. We, have, we watch TV shows together and enjoy very nice things. But not one of us by nature will call, the, call on the Lord in prayer. Not one of us by nature is going to kiss Jesus Christ in his feet. And just like David's son Absalom and his rebellious cohorts who would no longer bow to Jesus, we come into this world and we say to Jesus, I will not have you to be king over me. When we open our mouths, we, op- we do open our mouths, don't we? We come into the world, we open our mouths. Um, and we might even have some nice opinions about God. I don't know about you, but in, in my life, and especially working in the gym, I had many men who would say, I want to keep in, keep in um, you know, good, good with the man upstairs. That was about as good as it got. It was the man upstairs. It was the old man who sits in a chair and just waiting on me to get there. These guys had some nice opinions about God. But one thing they wouldn't do is this. They wouldn't take... Jesus' name on their mouths and offer and come to God Himself through Jesus. They wouldn't pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus teaches us, by the way, to do that all through the New Testament. So they wouldn't do that. And so what we say or what we do not say with our mouths says a lot about us. Let me try to get at this. None of y'all have this problem, I'm sure. When I'm unwilling to talk to my wife, and when my wife is unwilling to talk to me, it is not as if nothing is being said. You with me? Houston! Houston! We have a what? We got a problem. Because when I'm not talking to her and she's not talking to me, something's really loudly being said. There's a problem. And so, you know, somebody's, well, I didn't say anything. Yep, that's right. That's the problem. And we say that to our kids. We, we call it the no response response. You know, you should have said something. And so when we will not speak to the Lord in prayer, when we will not roll the stone away from our sepulcher and speak to the Lord in Jesus' name, that's a real problem. And maybe... Some people, may don't, they, they may not say nice words. They may not talk about the big man upstairs. Maybe they just speak against God's king with their mouths as they should not. Why do we do this thing? Why do we do this? Well, we do this because of our sin. And sometimes we do this because we don't want people, we don't want to be embarrassed to do such a thing in front of our friends. And David is saying in verse 10, Hold them guilty, O Lord. He says basically, forget all of that. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. You and I, we must forget our ego. We must forget our pride. And we have to come to God or these sins of ours, these transgressions of ours, these devices of ours will sink us downward. For our sins, we will be banished from God's sight. But the Lord is the one who has promised a way out of our sin and of our death in sin. He says that if we will open up our mouths and call on the name of the Lord, roll the stone away, if you will, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And he, he lays this out for us beautifully here in verse 7. 
Look at what he says there. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I enter your house. So David's telling us how to come into God's house. He's telling us that it's by his abundant loving kindness. Now, who might we slide in there as God's abundant loving kindness so that we can enter into the presence of the Lord? Maybe we could call that abundant loving kindness. Jesus. Jesus is the abundant loving kindness that opens up the way for us to God. And then he goes on and he says, At your holy temple I will bow down before you. Lead me, verse 8, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. So coming according to God's abundant loving kindness, it means we come through Christ, we bow down, and we plead with God to lead us in His righteousness. And by the way, if we do that, we're saved. We're saved. Now, that was free. I wanted to say that. Now I want to tell you as we enter into prayer, because you have to, you, you open up your mouth and you pray through Jesus and you come to God the Father and now you're praying. Now you're really going to pray and now David's going to give us instruction in prayer. He's going to tell us a pattern. Now, have you ever heard of a pattern of prayer before? Hadn't you ever heard of that? Didn't we just do the pattern thing a few minutes ago? Our Father who art in heaven, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, pray like this or pray in this way. And in Luke 11, Jesus comes comes from the prayer. And it almost says, I think the, the disciples have seen him praying. And they see him come out of the prayer, if you will, the prayer closet. And they go, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And I think he gives them pretty much the same prayer he's given in the Sermon on the Mount with a little variation. Now, I don't know about you. I've been working on praying for a long, all these years. Um, and I'm sure you have your own frustrations. But let me give you just a few thoughts. You have to pray. You with me? Christians pray. Christians have to pray. Christians, that's the thats the air we breathe. We're truly Christians. We are frustrated sometimes with prayer. But let me put it this way. Tell God everything. Pray about all things. Tell God things that you think you should tell Him. Tell God things that you don't want to tell Him. He already knows anyway. We should tell God when we feel good. We should tell God about the things we don't feel good about. We should talk to God. You can go through the Psalms, and I promise you, you'll find a place where David is saying things, and he goes, you know, you'd think he shouldn't even be telling God that. Well, he is. <laughs> He's telling God everything. Sometimes, i uh, read lately, sometimes maybe we ought to camp out on some lamentations in the Psalms and come to church and be very somber, because you know what our society tells us? Worship is entertainment. And sometimes not any, some people come to church and they're not happy. They're really sad. And maybe we just ought to be sad as we worship sometimes. Because that's real. I think we have much to praise the Lord about, but there are some psalms that are very sad. But here's the thing. Wherever we are in prayer, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You have questions, you, have, you don't have some answers. Keep doing it and you'll get some answers. Keep doing it and you'll learn some answers as you go along. But you and I must use prayer and walk with God. It's the chief exercise of our faith. Now, we have 150 chapters right in front of us called the Psalms, and it's God's devotional book. And you and I, and I'm going to give you a commercial at the end of the sermon to use this devotional book. 
But the first part of instruction that David gives us is direction. Where do I stare? Where do I look? And he says this. Look at verse 2. He the sound of my voice for help, my Lord and my God, for to you, to you, to you. He says this several times. To you, verse 3. In the morning I will order my prayer to you. So it's a direction. You and I are to stare. We are to put our eyes on the Lord. The Lord, capital O L O R D. You and I are to take Yahweh's name on our lips, and we are to remember that He's a covenant God, and He's called us to be His covenant children. He's called us, and He said, You are my elect people. You are the sheep of my pasture. You are a royal priesthood, and you can take my name and call on me. This is who you stare at. This is whose name you call on. To the Lord who loves you. To who? To, he says, my king. David is a king. David is an authority. But he's also a man who's under authority. He's under God's authority as his king. And David was a loyal subject to king to the king. And so I would say to you, just as David had to take the, the book of the law and write out his own copy, you and I have, have to hold God's word in our, in our hands. You and I have to hide God's Word in our hearts. You and I have to roll the stone away from the sepulcher and let the words of God come out of our, as our speech. You and I, we have to walk according to God's Word. Next third, to who? And he says here he calls God, he calls Him my God. And that's one of the things as we think about calling on God as our God is the idea that David had people coming to him and they would ask him for decisions. They would tell him their dilemma. They would tell him their their situations. And then David would render to them his hearing and give a judgment. And this is what we're to do. We're to offer up to God our situations and ask God for his decisions and expect him to answer our uh, situations. So how can you and I have any benefits of the Lord who is the king and who is our God, apart from directing our hearts to him in prayer. David is pressing into God, to you and no other. And God, by the way, has decided to explain himself most faithfully and most fully in the person of his son. Jesus is also the Lord. He is the king and he is the Son of God. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus says this, Before Abraham was born, I am. So Jesus is the invisible uh, God, the image of the invisible God. And He comes to explain the covenant of grace to us. He says, I am the water of life. He says, I am the bread of life, the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the vine. Now, each one of these statements speaks of God's covenant relationship. How can you and how can I have any benefit of Jesus who is before us? How can we have any benefit? Unless you direct your attention to this water and drink it, there's no benefit. Unless you direct your attention to this good shepherd who laid his life down for you on the cross, you can't have any benefit. 
Unless you take this water and drink it, there's no benefit. Unless you take this bread and eat it, there's no benefit. Unless you listen to this voice that speaks to you, there's no benefit. But if you and I abide in the vine, there's plenty of benefit. And it takes staring at Jesus. It takes having this direction. And Jesus directs us to himself and David directs us to the great I am. Now, there's two stories in the, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 14, that they're, they come back to back upon each other. And the first story is about the feeding of the 5,000. The second is Jesus walking on the water. And they have a great deal to do with staring at Jesus. Immediately after John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus was going to take, I think, I think, and this is probably backed up by most commentators, I think Jesus was going to take his disciples over to a really nice green place and spend time reflecting on John the Baptist's death. But the people began to see Jesus and they saw where he was going. And so they began to follow him. And by the time they get there, they're going to have this time of rest and reflection on the death of a a beloved John the Baptist. There's 20,000 people there. And so Jesus is seeing all these people as sheep without a shepherd and he begins to teach them. And once the day came to an end, the disciples told Jesus to send all these people away to get something to eat. And you remember what Jesus said? (laughs) He said, you give them something to eat. And so the disciples did some accounting. And after they got finished with all their accounting, this is what they said. We have five loaves and two fish. That's all they could see. That's all they could account for. And so Jesus is going to help them to understand they've missed a resource (laughs) that's staring at them right in the face. So he has everybody sit down and he begins to make bread out of bread and make fish out of fish until he feeds all 20,000 of these people. And Jesus is saying, you did your accounting and came up short because you saw five loaves, two fish, and you didn't see me. You've got to see him. You've got to keep your attention on me, direct your attention on me, because I am the bread of life. The next story is really cool, too, because Jesus sends the disciples ahead on the sea, and he comes walking on the rough water. Now, we all know this story. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say this story. I, I get, I, you know, years and years ago, I, I can't. Uh, I can't remember exactly the person's name. He said, don't, don't say the same things too many times because you put people to sleep. But I'm going to share this with you again because there's something in it I've never seen before. So Jesus is coming to the disciples on the rough water. And we all know the story, right? And they see him and they're frightened out of their minds. And they think they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. That's how we read it, right? Do you know how it's really translated? This is what it really says. Take courage. I am. Doesn't say it is I. Literally, it says, take courage. I am. Now, English, we put here behind it. In English, we say, I am present. But in Greek, in the Greek, it says, take courage. I am. Don't you love that? Hey, hey, all eyes this way. All eyes here, little ones. All the little eyes, all the little eyes. Look this way. And so Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you to command me to come to you on the water, and he gets out of the boat. Watch this guy in your mind. Imagine this. He gets out of the boat, and he's staring at Jesus. As long as he stares at Jesus, everything's good. But when he starts looking at the waves, 
and what the winds do with the waves. He starts sinking. And then he puts his eyes back on Jesus and says, Lord, save me. And they get back. Jesus reaches out his hand and they get back in the boat together. You and I, we can't forget in our prayers to stare at Jesus. We can't forget to do all the accounting that we ought to do. We keep our eyes on Jesus. I read the story of a best-selling author who, talking about dogs, he lost his dog in a mad search. He went looking for his dog, and eventually he uh, found this dog in the animal shelter. He said he went to, to every cage. And when we went to this emergency room the other day, you know, there were dogs everywhere and those eyes were staring at you. They're, they're, in, the, in the veterinarian emergency group clinic, we see all these sad little doggies being taken care of by lots of doctors and technicians. And this guy said he went to go look for his dog. And he looked in every single cage. And in every cage, those eyes were looking at him. And he said, this is not the place for the weak of heart. So he said by the end of it all, he said he did find his dog, but by the end of it all, he wanted to pull his car around and he wanted to take all the dogs home with him. These are his words. I wanted to come around with my car and say, be of good cheer. I am here to save you. I will take you home. He said the only thing that kept me from doing it was the fact that I wanted to remain married more. (laughs) But isn't that a picture of Jesus' heart? Look, I'm here. Direct your attention to me. Do all your calculations and all your accounting. Remember me. Stare at me. I am the way to the Father. Whatever cage you might be in, fix your eyes on me. Well, second. Second. Direction. Second point we look at in instruction from David is preparation. Now, this really helps me. Stare at Jesus. Speak to the Lord. Stare at Jesus and speak in prayer. You have to speak to pray. So we have spoken words. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Well, what kind of spoken words are we to bring to the Lord? Well, he says here, consider my groaning. The word groaning, it means murmuring. It means words that are not well formed. It means words that are not formulated very well. Broken words. Starts and stops. Have y'all ever been there? You, you start praying and you, you, sometimes you even forget where you're at. And you start and you stop and you start and you stop. But you know what? You're there and you're praying with all your heart. And the Lord would rather hear a bunch of starts and start, stops and sputtering and spurts. He would rather hear all of that than a whole bunch of beautiful words that didn't come from your heart. So we have spoken words. We have broken words. Then he says here, heed the sound of my cry. So now we have desperate words. Crying words, words that are urgent. Foes are behind me, and I am running for my life. And finally, I think the the psalmist here is pointing more uh, pointedly to prepared words. Look at verse 3. In the morning I will order my prayer to you. The word order there. It is a Greek, I mean a Hebrew word that speaks of setting things in order. The priest in the Old Testament would set the wood on the altar in order. He would set the chunks of the sacrificial meat on the, for, to, to be sacrificed in a certain order. And then he would set in the holy place where the bread is placed on the, uh, the showbread is placed on the table. It would be pra- placed in two rows of six. So it's talking about placing things 
in order. And I think that there's no doubt that most Christians at times, each one of us at times, we're going to go through situations where we will speak words that are broken, not well formulated. We're going to be speaking words that are desperate and, you know, seriously, we're, we're in ur- great urgent uh, time. But here, I think what he's trying to teach us is there's very important times in our lives when we need to do a little bit of self-denial. We need to get a piece of paper out or get your computer out and put things in order so that you can pray with well-prepared words. I think that's what he's arguing about here. The thing about this that's going to cost us is it's going to take a little bit more time. It's going to take a little bit more time. It's going to... Those guys, those priests, when they did this, they didn't just go, they didn't do that. They didn't just throw a bunch of wood up there. They set it in order. It took a little time. They prepared the bread in the right order. They didn't just put it anywhere on the table. And so I think a little bit of self-denial is here. I think we have to take our impatience, put it in our pocket, and squash it and sit on it. I think we have to take a little bit of time. And if, you, if we just would do this, we would be benefited so much. The temptation is always, I don't have enough time. But friend, you don't have enough time not to. So stop and take the time to sacrifice. And I think we, have all, we all struggle with this. Sometimes what we say is this. Let me, let me tell you what I think what we do sometimes. We prepare a prayer maybe. And we say, well, I didn't praise enough. Or we, we do a whole lot of crying out for a certain thing and we didn't, we, we didn't say thank you enough. And we just get ourselves all in a knot over this kind of stuff because we didn't have a really good symmetrical and balanced prayer. Just here we are, just po- pointing at the beast here. Well, you know what? I will tell you what I've learned. Tonight you may find yourself on, the, on your knees crying out to God for something. And tomorrow you may find yourself balanced all out saying thank you to God for that next for the answer to the prayer. And so you, you go, you know what? By the time you begin to learn about praying, you begin to find out that th- these things balance themselves as, as you go. But we all need to pray. And we all need to work at our prayers. And they'll get better. We work at these things. Are we struggling with direction? Are we struggling with stammering and staying on track? Use this prayer. Use the Lord's Prayer. Um, come to the next sermon. I'm going to do probably a couple more sermons on Psalm 5 and look at more points on Psalm 5. But sometimes I think we think that prayer is just um, free and spontaneous and extemporaneous and we're supposed to just get up and we're, spo- or we're supposed to get on our knees at home and we're supposed to just let the words fly. How's that working for you? It doesn't work very long. But if you and I will use spend time thinking about what we pray about, or if we go and use the Psalms, or if we go and use the shorter catechism that teaches us what we're doing and how to do it, we have some things. And, you know, by the time we spend about 20, 30 minutes going through this stuff, all of a sudden we're really glad, just like we went to go work out. We didn't really want to work out, you know, yesterday. You didn't want to go walking, but you started. And after five or six minutes, you enjoyed it. After you get going, you don't want to stop. But you have to because you have other responsibilities. I, let, me, let me argue with, with you for a second about, like, for instance, preaching. Um, 
you know, one of the things that preachers like, they like to be free of their notes. <laughs> they want to be extemporaneous. Well, let me tell you something about your preacher and some of these other preachers that come this way. They have notes and they like to be free of their notes. Um, I can tell you how all that works in my mind. I won't go into that right now. But let's just say that Pastor Wheat wrote a sermon by Thursday and it was all well written, hopefully well, well written, somewhat well, well written. And he didn't really get to fix that sermon in his mind on Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning. It would be better for Pastor Wheat to read a well-prepared sermon and never look at you in the eyes than for Pastor Wheat to wing it and have not really say anything. <laughs> and it would, be, it would be well worth your while to use a psalm written down. It's well worth our while to use these prayers that are in our order of service. It's well worth our while to use words from the Spirit of God inspired through the psalmist or some of the greatest, these are, these are prayers I pull out and put in here, some of the greatest Christians you would ever know in history. These words help us to stay on track and pray. So, let me end by giving you my commercial. My commercial is use the Psalms. Use the Psalms because the Psalms tell us to look to Jesus, look to God. Use the Psalms because they teach us to speak to the Lord in broken words and in desperate words and in prepared words. Use the Psalms and pray the Psalms because they put you in touch with the Holy Spirit who inspired the Psalms. Use the Psalms every day and make these words your words for you. And then turn around and make these words for your wife. And make these words for your daughters. And make these words for people at work. Take these words. Use these words. These words are to teach us how to pray. God has put in an amazing way a book in this Bible. 150 chapters for you just to use when you pray. Now, let me, one more, one more note and I'll stop. Some of these Psalms are hard to understand. And so I found myself over the years getting a little commentary or something just to read about each Psalm and get an idea of what's going on. So I understand it just a little bit better. Now, ministers are, you know, they get, they study all the time on that kind of stuff. But we can get a book and we can read a little, little commentary and it will help us sometimes to understand what we are reading in a psalm. So God helps us to learn to pray. And He gives us direction. He gives us a pattern. We are to stare or have direction. Our direction is to God through Jesus Christ. And we are to use spoken words. Sometimes broken, sometimes spoke, uh, desperate. But it's a good idea to prepare what you pray. So let us pray. Let's ask God to teach us to pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time to be together with these guys. Thank you for each one here. Uh, we know it's afternoon and we just got through eating. It would be great to have a cup of coffee just to kind of get us going. But we thank you for giving us energy to listen. We thank you for time to read your word, to pray. We thank you for time to uh, sing hymns to you in this afternoon and in this afternoon in your presence with these dear people. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us, even as the disciples ask Jesus, we pray that you would teach us how to pray and teach us how to stay in prayer day in, day out, 
um, Lord, whether we feel great or not, to tell you our feelings and to always turn to you in prayer, knowing that when we do so, you get to reorient us to the way and the truth and the life in in whose name we pray right now. Amen.